Birds, people, and the dogs that bring them together. This is episode number two. My name is Bill, and you're tied to the woe post. Today we have Dave from Faith in the Point Bird Dogs out of central Indiana. Dave and I first met a few years ago when we were both on our first dog, back when we were both in the Army. When we met, I think we hit it off pretty instantly. We both had plans to work with dogs after the military. Dave was running a short hair, and I was running my poodle pointer. Dave, welcome to the Woe Post. Hey, Bill, I appreciate you having me on. The, uh, it's uh, been exciting talking to you as you started with the uh, idea to get this thing up and running and to see it finally here and come to fruition, so I really appreciate the opportunity. Oh, thanks. I know we, we talked about this off and on for a while, and um, well, nobody knows this except for me and you, but you designed the logo. I basically stole it from you, made some uh, some minor modifications, but the idea comes 100% from you, and I appreciate that. Oh, no, no. It's uh, glad to see it getting to getting put to use. I'm excited right to on. see where you take it. All right. Well, we uh, like to start off with a quick kind of an icebreaker lightning round. Uh, and I'm just going to ask you a few questions here and just go ahead and answer as quickly as you can. So uh, first one, what's your favorite food? Uh, pizza. <laughs> pizza? When's the last time you had it? Uh, last week, probably. Okay. I had pizza just a couple hours ago, actually. All right. Last time you had it, who made it? Or did you order it? Or was it Yeah, we pizza? ordered it. A little place called the Crowbar down the street. Okay. Oh, all right. I've been there. Yeah. Yes, Do they have good pizza? Oh, yeah. It's really good. Okay. Right on. And for those of us, those of you who don't know, none of you know, um, but Dave and I only live about a half hour apart here in central Indiana. So, all right. Next question. If you could live in any state in the country, which one would it be? Uh, South Dakota. <laughs> huh. Why? Yeah. Birds. And uh, it's not as far north as North Dakota. Um, pretty good area. Yeah. Plenty of land. We can run the horses and dogs and all that stuff. Yeah. Right on. Actually, you know, so I, I have an uncle, um, he's only about six years older than I am. Um, so he's more like a big brother than he is an uncle, but he lives in uh, Bella Fuge, South Dakota uh -huh. and his neighbor is a horse ranch. That's, that would be pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah. It's, it's not a bad place and he's surrounded by sharp tails. He actually didn't know what kind of birds those were flying over all the time. He saw them all the time. He knew they were probably some kind of game bird, but he didn't know what they were. And um, I stopped by to visit with him on my way up to North Dakota to go hunt with uh, with Eric. Mm -hmm. And um, I said, man, you, you are covered in sharp tails out here. He said, is that what those are? I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah, that's what those are. They literally they fly right by his house all day. Oh, man. Oh, man. So if you need rough, somebody huh? to get rid of a problem, uh, I know a couple of guys. Right, right on. <laughs> All right. So I don't really need to ask you why uh, you want to live in South Dakota. Yeah. I can't really say that I blame you. Um, all right. So last question. If you could hunt only one animal for the rest of your life, what would it be? Ooh, it would be a bird. It's a toss-up between pheasant and uh, and quail. I think I would have to go with pheasant. Ring neck pheasants. Okay, and why why pheasants over quail? Uh, I like the challenge they present to to the the dogs. I like you know they're, they're going to run. They're out there. You know you get out to the, the west, big open field, just acres and acres. I jump on the horseback and we're just we're just gone. And uh, I, there's nothing like the sound of a rooster cackling as it as it busts up and you know your buddy shouting rooster and. It's just a lot of fun. 
Yeah, I agree. I think that the flush of a big rooster with that huge tail as it curls up mm-hmm. when that pheasant jumps up straight, uh, that's pretty wild. I don't know. I mean, I feel like, you know, a covey busting up, you know, of 20 quail, you know, a big covey like that. That's that's pretty, pretty exciting, too. Um, and I think for me, you know, I think it would probably depend on how old my my dog is or maybe mm-hmm. how good my dog is. Right. Yeah. Um, I do think that quail country can be a little bit more forgiving than pheasant country from time mm-hmm. to time. Sometimes busting cattails can kind of break you off a little bit. Although, I don't know, you and I had some quail hunts where uh, I think we were pretty tired at the end of it this year. We we were busting some pretty thick stuff for a while, too. Oh, yeah. I I think they each come with their, they've got their own unique set of challenges. Just depends on what what kind of pain you want to put yourself through that day. Right, right, yeah. I don't know. But I think it's all fun. I don't know. I feel like that's a tough question, but that might live through the lightning round from here on. Yeah. So, all right, but you survived and passed the lightning round. Congratulations. All right. All right. So tell us a little bit about Faith in the Point Bird Dogs. Well, um, as you know, we uh, started, I guess we're going on four years now. I go started as an idea as we prep for retirement and transition from the military life and a way to do something we love to do and, um, you know, kind of profess our faith and just kind of pay for the blessings that the Lord has given us and train dogs and hunt dogs and, you know, breed them a little bit on this, you know, say it on the side, but, you know, we don't do a whole lot of breeding, one or two litters a year. And, uh, it, it grew a lot faster than we ever imagined it would. And it is, a uh, it's been a blessing. It's, it's turned into a full-time thing. And, uh, and like I said, we have had some amazing opportunities presented to us through it. We've met a lot of great people and uh, built a lot of really solid relationships because of it. So it's all been a blessing. Right on. Did you know that you wanted to do this before, you know, let's say before you moved to Indiana? No, I coming into, you know, hunting has been a part of my life, dogs, you know, growing up, you know, always. But it looking at it from a business standpoint, no. I, I mean, I spent years of my life gearing up to open a CrossFit box. Um, you know, I've got a, a handful of certifications and uh, through CrossFit, I, you know, bought a ton of equipment ready to open a box upon retirement. And I think that going into, honestly, COVID helped me see the how fragile a box could be and the risk that's associated with that. And it kind of shifted focus. We, you know, spent a lot more time in the field with the dogs and brought in some, you know, our first client dog, so to speak, um, and started doing some training. And it was like, hey, you know, this is a lot of fun. There's, we can do this even when we're in isolation, so to speak. And uh, hey, let, let's let's shift gears and, and turn away from what we had kind of prepped for and already had the business plan packaged and ready to go. And, uh, you know, turn that fire and desire into what it's turned into now. Right on. So, so Nellie was your dog back then. Is Nellie a COVID dog? Nellie, no, she was pre-COVID about a couple of years. Um, yeah, she was, she was around hanging out. Um, we were hunting her you know, a couple of years before that. Um, you know, Nellie's still here. She's, Nellie's an interesting dog. They always say that you're, you know, you, your first couple, you're going to learn a lot and you're going to lot of, make a lot of mistakes with. And, you know, <laughs> so she, she has, we, she's gone through it and, uh, 
you know, we've, I've transitioned her from, you know, my dog. So our middle daughter now, she's nine. She has, um, she's handling her in a hunt test now. So I trained Nellie. She's, she's good, but she's that good confidence builder for, for Lena to get her introduced into that. Um, you know, the, the, not necessarily the competitive side, but the testing side of things. And she can go out there and Nellie will handle well for her. Um, you know, we kind of, Nellie, we, we intended for her to kind of be our foundation bitch for the, the breeding program. Um, her first breeding we got within five days of her whelp date and there were some complications. We ended up losing the entire litter and ended up having to have her yeah, spade to, uh, to, you know, keep her alive. And because of that, you know, you start running, looking at the, the cost benefit analysis of it continuing to, to work, to, to test and title her for a dog that you're not going to be able to continue to pass that down on. Right. So, you know, it's still a great dog to, member of the family, a pet. We're not going to, you know, move her down the line somewhere. Um, but the focus on for what her future looks like shifted. So she's still here. We, we hunt her, but, um, great dog to, to have, you know, to train the, the kids in the field with, so to speak. Um, so that's kind of what her life has evolved into. And, you know, so she's out here and living life until our buddy, uh, old, you know, Jake McCray living life out in Idaho, retired now. He wants to, to adopt Nellie and take her out there. So we'll see what that oh, really to down the road. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He, <clears throat> he tried to when he moved out there, he was trying to throw her in the truck and take her then. So we'll see. We'll see what that looks like <laughs> down the road. Nellie's, yeah, I don't know. Nellie's a great dog, though. You know, I've I've hunted over her a couple times with you, and she's the first dog that I've seen actually do that hard, twisted, contorted point where she is mm-hmm. in full sprint past the pheasant and catches it. You know, catches that scent cone in stride and stops on a dime, and you just look at her and you're like, I know she's on point, but that can't be comfortable. Right. And she was, I mean, she was just locked on. She was pretty young then too. Maybe she might've been less than two at the time. Yeah. When we first started hunting together, I think she was, she was right just about to turn two and she does, she's got brakes on her. She'll slam a point. She's super stylish in the field. Um, really good. I mean, she's got a solid nose on her. It was, it was a real, it was a shame. It was heartbreaking to have gone through that. And, to have made that, you know, we, we had to, it was, you know, run the risk of losing her by trying to keep her intact for the potential of what we could have bred her in the future. Um, you know, it, it was heartbreaking to, to know that we wouldn't be able to continue that with her, but, uh, you know, we've still got all Nelly girl for, you know, seasons to come and, you know, it is what it is. Yep. Yep. Ab- absolutely. Yeah. And I, I know, I think we were hunting with moose that day too. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, Moose is kind of similar in that, you know, he's, he's not a, uh, not a dog that you're going to get a big return on, but he's actually curled up in a ball right, right over here, right next to me. He's still, he's my buddy. He's, he's my adopted poodle pointer, poodle flusher, right? There's not an ounce <laughs> of point in this dog. I don't think, um, but I don't hunt him like a pointer anymore. I hunt him like a flusher and he does a great job and he's a phenomenal retriever. I mean, that dog will go get anything. Um, so we're, I think we're going to continue to work on that and just just be a flusher and a retriever and he'll be happy and i'll be happy and you know and we'll, we'll keep getting birds yeah right. no and i think that's been an interesting thing for me to witness from our first hunting experience together where you were still trying to work and build that pointing in him to see that transition to accepting that okay hey i'm gonna use him as a flushing dog and 
you know, there's, you know, as an outsider looking in, there's, there's this joy that's come out of that with you and this pressure that has come off. And, you know, I've seen, you know, we've been in the field with him this, this season and Moose is out there just living his life. And, you know, you, you see, he's, you're happy. He's, he's doing well. He's doing bird dog things out there. And it, it's, it was really good to see this season out there. Um, so no, it, it, it's good to see. And like I said, it, it's neat to have seen that transition from several years ago to what, what that relationship between you and Moose and those expectations now versus what they were then. So that's good. Yeah, I appreciate that. And I think that's one of those things that as, you know, as we all kind of mature as handlers and as trainers is just realizing really what, what the ceiling of, of your dog is and then having realistic expectations and how you can handle that dog and what you can expect out of him. Yeah. Um, so why short hairs? Versatility. Versatility is a big thing. Versatility and demeanor. Um, we wanted with all of our dogs, we want, and it's not that you can't have it with other breeds, but we want dogs that are, are family members. They're in here in the house. No, we're not going to keep 10 dogs in the house with this at all times, but it throughout the month, throughout the week, you know, all the dogs are going to rotate in and out of the kennel buildings. They're going to be in here in the house for several days with us until they do something and irritate me. And then We'll, we'll rotate them out. They're, they become an inmate, so to speak, and they get put in solitary out in the kennel building and another one comes in, um, you know, but we want them to come in the house and have that off switch, so to speak, and settle in and, and you know, you just be loving and want that affection and that attention, take them out in the field and be able to hunt. Um, as you know, I, we do everything from upland bird hunt to dove hunt to deer hunt. So something that I can cross train to, you know, you know, blood trail a deer to shed hunt if you wanted to, to, to sit, sit beside me in a dove field and retrieve if I want, um, to, you know, chasing quail or pheasant or sharp tails, whatever, whatever it is we want. Um, and that's what it boiled down to in, in the beginning. And, you know, as you know, we've kind of diversified over the course of the last year and a half or so and added some English pointers in, and we've got a little cocker now trying to work some flush point combos, but, um, you know, I still, really fall back to that versatility that, that you find in a short hair. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's funny, you mentioned that, you know, a lot of times you've got the dogs in the house. I think the last time I went to pick up Skeet and Moose at your house, um, I think there were, I think there were seven dogs in the house at the time. And if not for my two crazies who were really just excited that we were there to pick them up, you wouldn't have known that there were any dogs in your house at all. It was quiet. Oh, they know. Yeah. And I think when, when you they were here, we were in the middle of our training break, and so we typically close down in you know, our training season, the beginning mid November um, through the beginning of the year, and that gives us time for the holidays, family time to hunt our own dogs. Hunting season, we we guide not as much this year as we have doing the you know tip of most years, um, but so during that time, usually we'll, we will close down the kennel building, and our personal dogs will come in. Uh, but, but they know the deal. They come in and it's, they've got their places. We set up place boards and whatnot. And it, it, they know, Hey, <laughs> it's time to act right. And so, uh, you know, I can't, it, it, there's a bunch of them and it's time to settle down and you know, they, they got to act right. If they're going to be in the house, that's just the way it is. Right. Right. Now I've got my dogs doing pretty well on that. Moose is really good on that, but he's, you know, five and a half years old. Uh, he's, mm-hmm. he's a more mature dog. I've got, 
the uh, the two year old Skeet around here somewhere. She's in she's in here somewhere, um, and she's really good. Except right now she's in season, and I think she mm-hmm. is just not figuring stuff out. She's got hormones flying all sorts of different directions, and when I tell her to go to her place. She looks at it and she looks at me and she'll go and sit down right next to it. And I'm just kind of like, girl, we've done this. Mm-hmm. I have to show her again. Like, Let, you're going over here. Let's go. Yeah. And, uh, and once you get her there, you know, she's she's content. She'll stay there. Um, but um, yeah, I feel like we're doing uh, remedial training sometimes on on the uh, on the place discipline in the house. Yeah. The, the place training is that we're big on, as you know, um, I work it, you know, we, so we, we've open back up for training right now. I've got two client dogs here and, you know, even my own dogs right now, we're at the point in the season where I take them all back to day one, basic training. We're coming out of the season, bad habits. I've allowed them time to get ready for testing throughout the the summer, spring, fall seasons, getting ready for next season. Um, And place is one of the big things that we do. So we do yard work before I take them to the field and that place board training is a, an intricate part of it. So they were all going through it. And I've got one of the client dogs is in season right now. And it, there is always a big difference. And, you know, a lot some other trainers may argue it, but they are, their mind is not the same when they're in season and, and you run into those little difficulties or inconsistencies of a dog that, you know, you've worked before. If it's one of your own dogs or one that's here now is one that I work regularly. Um, they know things that, but, when they're in season, it's just a little more difficult. You know, they, they act brand new at certain times. It's interesting. Yeah. I mean, maybe not for all dogs, but I'll tell you, I notice it pretty big for, uh, mm-hmm. for a little skeet here. So, yeah. and uh, so you mentioned you're back on, you've got two client dogs in the kennel right now. Yeah. Right on. And that was one of the questions I was going to ask you. Cause I noticed that, that, um, you know, from your uh, Instagram and from your Facebook, that you are spending some time with your dogs getting back to basics, kind of reinstilling that discipline. It seems like, you know, as hunters, we kind of let the dogs go a little bit through hunting season. You want them to be confident. You want them to get out there. Maybe sometimes we let them get away with a little bit more than we normally would. Um, and so I've noticed that, you know, through your social media accounts, you're like, nope, all right, we're back to being disciplined, back to, you know, 100% working as a team and, um, you know, back to basics. So, are these client dogs that you've had before or are these new dogs? One of them is a, a dog that I have had before. I work right pretty regularly, actually. Um, it is the, the bitch that if you remember, um, I trained an entire litter over this past summer. It's the bitch that that litter came out of. Um, okay. so the, you know, worked her a lot. Um, she's back in for, you know, a touch up coming out of the season. She actually, I think she, she only hunted twice this past season. So kind of just wanted some more bird contact for her, but, uh, you know, kind of work on some things that, that he saw the couple of times he had her out. Um, and then the other one is a dog three years old that is completely gun shy that mm. he bought it, uh, got the pup at seven months old from the breeder. I think there was a misunderstanding. Um, well, well-known, very reputable breeder and trainer, um, very successful at what she does. Um, there was a misunderstanding of what training had been done with the dog prior to him purchasing the pup. Um, he immediately took the dog to the to a field, big, large hunt. Um, dog had had no gun exposure. 
dog is gun shy. So it sat for, you know, a couple of years right now. And um, I did an evaluation on it for a week, uh, two or three weeks ago or whatnot. And, you know, hey, this is what I think it's going to take time wise and gave them kind of the, the rundown and they decided to do right by the dog and brought it back. And so we're working through that slowly. But it, and on top of that, it's not just a, hey, get it over being the gun shy. It's, it's the normal introduction to birds and teaching it to be a, a hunting dog because it's never had any of that either. So, um, you know, it's been fun. I've seen a lot of, it's been here for, for the formal part, week, 10 days now, and we're seeing a lot of headway already. Um, I'm getting, to the point where I'm firing the blank gun and there's no flinch. So we're, we're making a lot of headway already. Really sharp dog, really great nose on it. So, um, got a lot of hope for it. And, uh, I think it's a lot of dogs going to be a good one once we're done, once we're done with it. That's awesome. And you know, it's good that there are, you know, good trainers out there that can find those skills deep within the dog. And, you know, everybody, you know, we always say, you know, there's no such thing as intro to guns. It's intro to guns and birds, right? Mm-hmm. You know, the last thing you want is to be, especially over a dog that's that's perhaps, you know, gun sensitive or gun shy. Uh, last thing you want is firing a gun over that dog when he has nothing else to think about but the, or she has nothing else to think about but the gun. Oh, yeah. Right? yeah. I mean, this dog was, was to the point that they had to buy one of the solid metal impact dog crates that you see. Yeah. advertised um thunderstorms thunder like the black just kind of wire crates that you get you could get mm-hmm. from you know take your pick store track supply a dog would would tear out of those they had to get a solid crate to put it in just for thunder it was that adverse to noise um so to have to brought it that far and like you said it, it's that thing you loud noise with a bird present you know, build a we spent the first several days nothing but chase birds chew on them chase sure. them build that excitement up you know, get that attention and, and let it go. And so it's so. one of those things that it's so easy to screw up too. And there's been mm-hmm. so many just bad recommendations out there about, well, you know, my granddaddy would just take him to the gun range and just make yeah. him sit there until they were still, or, you know, it just, just thing, all these things like that, that, Hey, I'm glad it worked for you. I'm glad you got lucky. I, um, It's just not what, good, responsible, reputable trainers are doing anymore? No, I, I have this conversation a lot, actually, um, with with individuals. And it's all, well, I've always done it this way. And, and it's like, I'm not trying to come from a place of looking down my nose or trying to, to sound cocky or anything else, right? Because I learn every day. But it's it's not that you've you're, you've been good at what you do. It's that you've, been, you've always been lucky, right? And, you know, typically, well, I read it in this book. Well, let me guess. It's you know, the book by this name or by this author. Yeah. And I was like, well, those books were written 40 or 50 years ago. Sure. We've learned a lot about the psychology and training of a dog. Um, a lot of which, and I was listening to this, this was on a podcast I listened to the other day that, and it, they were spot on that from our background, the war and terror, we, we learned a lot on the psychology of dogs and training as they try to get them ready for Iraq and Afghanistan and trying to get those dogs, you know, the, on the military side prepped and ready, like, we learned a lot. Right. And that psychology side of just canine training is very applicable to what we do on the bird dog side of things. So, you know, things have changed. It's not just, Hey, give them a bowl of food and start banging away under 12 gauge anymore. It's, you know, (laughs) let's, uh, let's be smart about this. Right. Times have changed. 
and it's gotten so much deeper than just you know four quadrants and and you know one slide deep on some bf skinner right some of these professional trainers and particularly on the working dog side on the you know the law enforcement canine the military canine whether it's detection or assault dogs or or Mm -hmm. whatever um some of these are some of the the most highly educated trainers that are out there right now i think i i think i saw the same thing or listened to the same thing that you were that you're talking to and they've definitely surpassed us in professionalism at least for most of us there there are certainly some some just amazing sporting dog trainers that have been doing it for decades and have continued to educate themselves um but i think the average working dog trainer professional working dog trainer right now is probably a lot more professional than the average professional sporting dog trainer yeah we get set in our ways we're stuck in our ways to our detriment honestly sure sure right on um so your kennel's still pretty young i mean you're you're at you're just over four years old you've had a lot of growth and you kind of touched down that early on i think that's a testament to the quality of the dog that you guys are producing that you guys are willing to take risks you're willing to find dogs from other places uh you you connect with a lot of people ask a lot of questions right and you've i think you've established some mentorship relations um with other people uh tell me about some of the mentors that you have that have helped you over the past four and change years yeah i i think for me it's you know trying to establish the, the relationships across a wide array of disciplines and you know various sources um, not just from, you know, within the bird dog world, so to speak, or, you know, not just, you know, the pheasant side, but, you know, as a kind of crossover into the, the, um, you know, the field trial side of things, the horseback side, you've got the Nastra side of things, um, you know, the down South that, that the quail, you know, population, you, you the Darrell Smith's down there, we, we go back and forth with him a lot, right. I, you know, pretty, um, um, you know, good dialogue constantly, exchanging ideas, you know, and hey, this works. We've tried this down here back and forth, um, you know, on the field trial, the horseback side, because that is a different world in and of itself on the put the the early on development. They, they're looking for big running dogs, right? They they wait a little bit longer to break, um, you know, and those are things that depending on the dog, these are all tools that I'm trying to gather from these individuals and, and put in my bag. I'm not going to use it for every dog. And I may not use it for any dog, but I might use it for a dog at some point, right? Um, so just trying to to learn as much as I can from everybody, and and just you know get that that snap on size tool tool chest. It's you know as big as it can be, just packed full of, of knowledge and information, and um, you know it, you never know when you're going to need that that off size you know tool and you know that a that one person is the only person who's ever used it and you happen to have heard just heard it randomly discussed in a conversation and hey let's let's pull that out and try it um you know and and there are things that you know i go back to you know people i grew up with training old rabbit dogs or squirrel dogs right and talk about how to you know keep a dog from chasing a rabbit or chasing a deer when they're uh you know you're out bird dog hunting and or you know chasing birds with a bird dog and that kind of stuff so the um you know the the list is large and it's you know social media has been great too because it it's a, an avenue to to meet people 
to, to converse and, and develop relationships. But on the other side too, it's a double-edged sword because you, you, you can meet people and you get, then you have to kind of wade through what's, what's real and what's not because everybody, let's face it. I mean, let's be honest, everybody with a social media account and a, a you know, a camera phone can, can be a trainer. Right. And not to say that they don't have valuable, um, you know, tips and tricks and tools and that they haven't been good at what they do. But also, too, it's, you know, you know, a lot of people with things that I say, we're like, hey, what is he talking about? He has no idea. Right. But, um, you know, just being knowing what's going to work for you or what may not work for you. And, you know, it's trying to to learn and wade through all of that is I think has been key. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and we always hear, right, you, you're training the dog in front of you. Yes. Right. And those tools yes. that you use are going to be the tools that work for that dog and the tools that you can you can effectively apply as a trainer. Yep. Right. There may be tools that work great for you that maybe because of my personality or maybe, maybe it's my experience level or whatever that I'm not able to effectively apply those tools. Yeah. Right. Um. Likewise, there may be a dog that I have, you know, I have my whole tool belt on and I'm ready to go. And I think I have everything that I need for the day. And that dog is just not getting it. And I'm looking down at my tool belt and I'm thinking, man, I might need a bigger belt. Right. Or, you know, I may need to go figure something else out because this dog is just not understanding it. I always get frustrated and it does seem like it's on social media more than anything else where somebody will post a video of them training their dog and somebody else, a quote unquote professional dog trainer will come there and look at it and say, that'll never work, or that takes too long, or this, that, and the other thing. And it's like, you, you've, you've seen a 14-second video of this trainer working with a dog, and how, how do you know what's going to work and what doesn't work? You know nothing about the trainer, you know nothing about the dog, you know nothing about where the dog was, you know, what the goals are, or anything of that nature. Well, and yeah, there's... You know, one phrase you said in there that as soon as someone says that to me, I honestly, I, I, sh- I shut them off. I turn them off. As soon as someone says to me, that's going to take too long. I'm done with that because when it comes to a bird dog, they determine the time, not you. And and they're all individuals. And I have some dogs that have picked up a skill in, you know, days or minutes, whatever you want to take it. And I've had some that, that's taken weeks to pick up that same thing. Um, you know, there there's no, we're not on a clock right? You shouldn't be, right? You, you truly should not be. Um, and it's that, you know, the also too, I, the mentors and the people that I continually return to are not the ones that tell me, Hey, you're doing this wrong, or they don't try to, to take over the training session over the phone, right? They're, they'll offer suggestions. Hey, have you thought about this? It's, it's the phrasing, right? Because they understand that that 30 second snapshot in time of the video that I sent them or they saw or the, the description that I gave them over the phone um, is just that. It's a snapshot in time. They don't know the full backstory of everything that has been uh, tried, that the, the demeanor of the dog, the experience of the dog. Um, all that comes into play when, when you're you're working with that dog in front of you. Right. So you're giving suggestions of, of things to try, not, hey, this is what you need to do. Um, you know, so I, I think that there's, there's that piece of it as well that, you know, when it comes to mentoring others, um, being cognizant of that, like you said, train the dog that's in front of you. And if, if, if that's, that dog is not physically in front of you, you're not training it. Hey, you're, you're offering suggestions, right. And understanding that you don't have the full picture right there in front of you because you don't have your hands on that dog. Um, you know, but, but 
as soon as we start talking about time, we've got a problem. And I, I tell that with clients all the time, like, I, I'm not going to rush it. I'm not going to tell you an end date on this, right? Like, you know, I get finances are an issue, but at the same time, right, we can't rush to failure. I can't give you a, a finished dog and, you know, say I'm going to be done with it in four weeks or two weeks or, or two months. It's going to be up to the dog on how quick it is able to 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 learn these things, Um you know, and we're, we're going to do everything we can to help it. Right. But, uh, you know, if it takes a long time, it's going to take a long time. That, that's just the way it is. So. Sure. And especially when you're being challenged with the, you know, the bitch that you have in training right now, who is, you know, showing signs of gun shyness or gun sensitivity. And you and I both know you can't do that too slowly. Right? Mm. There's no such thing as too slow when you're talking about that, because it's so easy to mess up and maybe permanently destroy that dog as a sporting dog and turning that hunting dog into a pet, right? So, you know, kudos to you for taking on the project and kudos to that owner for taking the risk and dedicating the resources to bring that dog's potential back out. Yeah, I, I told him the other day, He, I sent him a, some update videos and, and kind of a rundown of what the last few days have been like. And he was like, I got tears in my eyes reading this. And, you know, thank you so much. I was like, no, it, you know, all the, the gratitude is is to you right now because you're the one that, that you and your wife dedicated the time in, and invested in this dog's future and saw the potential. And, you know, without that, this, this dog would be the world's greatest house dog. And, you know, so so. Fire, the dog's name, call name is Fire. I said, Fire owes a lot to you. And I really appreciate you as a, you know, a short hair lover and a trainer and a breeder myself to, that you took the time and were willing to make this financial, honestly, financial investment to, to help this dog um, do what it was, it was bred and born to do. So, yeah, right on. So how many dogs does Faith in the Point have in the kennel right now? Not counting the client dogs, how many Faith in the Dog? Faith in the point dogs are at your place. Uh, let me count because we're, we're down. We sold four. <laughs> we, we sold actually four of our personal dogs this fall um, as we try to get some numbers down. We just realized that we had the, the client, the training list or the, the client load was so large over this last year that our personal dogs just were not getting the time in the field and the attention that they, that they deserve. Um, so we, we kind of, you know, made some really hard decisions. And honestly, there were some tears shed and um, found some really good homes for, for four of them. So we're down to four. And we're down to seven now. Seven. And then we, seven, we've got a litter on the way right now that's due <laughs> on the third or fourth of March. And from that litter, we're going to keep three or four of the pups um, at least through uh, August or something, August or so to give a good evaluation and then, um, kind of push them and, uh, kind of see what they're going to do as far as potential for horseback field trial stuff. So. Okay. And those are, those are out of Lexi, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think Lexi can run big if she wants to. Oh, she's Lexi. built like a big running dog for sure. And she, oh yeah. Lexi is, is by far the biggest running dog we have. Um, and if it were not for me, holding her in, she would run really big. When I had her out on the prairie back in September with, um, you know, some of these, these field trial dogs and the NGSBA side, they, she would, she would not run as big as they do. Um, but I honestly, I, 
a lot of that is is on me because I've held her back for so long. But sure. she she would push out. Um, she has no problem getting out there and, and taking off. Um, that's the reason we were so excited to be able to make that pairing with uh, the dog that we did, and looking forward to see what you know what they're able to produce. I know you and I both like dogs that. I think most people would argue they hunt fairly close. And I think, you know, you and I both like just to be able to be there connected with the dog and enjoy watching the dog kind of quarter back and forth and do its thing. And to me, you know, I, I love having a dog hunt for me out far. I think that concept is great, but I just, I really want to be able to see the dog at the same time because that's kind of, that's half of the enjoyment for me is actually watching the dog do the work. And I know that, uh, there are plenty of folks, especially as they get maybe a little older than you and I are, they just want the dog to go out and do the dog's thing and let the dog slam on point and then walk to the dog. I think that's probably more of an issue of just not wanting to walk, you know, maybe want to walk 10 miles instead of 15 miles for the day mm-hmm. or something of that nature. Um, but I kind of hope I never get to that point because I just really love watching the dog. And even if, even if she's only a hundred yards, 150 yards away. Um, I, I just, I love seeing it. Yeah. It, it, 100%. It's interesting. That's one of the biggest things. I spend a lot of time on intake, uh, for client dogs, trying to figure out what they're looking for and what their hunting styles are and, you know, where they're going to be hunting and what exactly what, you know, do you want a, a bigger running dog? Do you want one that's going to be in close and, you know, because I can train some of that and help some of it. Um, but I'm like you, I, I like, I like to be able to watch. I'm there. I, I honestly care less if I kill a bird, right? I, it's I'm there. And I want to see the dogs. I, I want to see, see that work. Um, I have developed a, a greater appreciation for those dogs that are able to push out and show that independence and that boldness to, to work out far. Um, especially if I'm up higher, I'm sitting on horseback and I can see it, but you know, terrain dictates a lot of that too. Here in Indiana, we don't have a lot of a very where you can sit up high and you can see him out working um, from a distance like that. Um, so I think that's probably one of the, the reasons that we're looking to kind of branch out and still do both. Um, and, you know, even then for, for the last several years, we've always tried to pair, you know, dogs that will closer working dogs and then, you know, pair that with the dog that works a little further out. So I'm covering both. I feel you get better coverage of the field that way, but also too, I kind of get the best of both worlds and and seeing what that looks like. So. Yeah. And I know right now there's probably a chucker hunter out there that's saying, you guys have no idea what you're talking about. That dog needs to be out there gone and on point. And that way I can just hike up to it. Otherwise, you know, those guys will be up and down the ridge line, you know, all day and, and chasing birds that they're never going to find. So I guess we, you know, we're in, we have the luxury of, of being in a pretty flat here, flat area here in the Midwest and not having to deal with a lot of that major terrain anyway. I think we get some micro terrain that can kind of break you off from time to time though. Yeah. And you're right. 100% that terrain dictates. And you know, if you depend on where you go, there's dogs that I really believe that, that if you get a good dog, that's intelligent, they're going to figure it out, you know, terrain and you know, you've the biggest thing that I tell clients all the time is you've got to be able to trust the dog. And, you know, they ask, how far do you like to work your dogs? I was like, it depends. I was if I can trust the dog that they're going to find a bird and hold that point till I get there, I can work out as far as they want. Right. Um, but if they're going to go out there and act crazy and they're going to bust a bird and chase it, then no, they need to stay in closer. But developing that relationship where you can trust the dog to, to work a cover line or go 
work the top of that ridge or, you know, whatever it may be, even if it's further than which you may feel comfortable with um, initially, give the dog the opportunity to prove to you that it can go up there. It can work that cover. It can find that bird. It can hold that point for you and give you the opportunity to get up there and, uh, you know, make that flush and, and get that shot off. Absolutely. Do you have plans for any of your dogs this year? You, you got any tests or any big trials you plan on running? Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, lining up now. And that's part of the the big um, push right now where we've got them all back to the basics. I, I probably in all reality will not shoot a bird over any of my dogs for the next month, month and a half. Um, it is all back to got them on, on tables and on the woe and letting birds go in front of them. Um, just then capping them. The, um, so we're looking to put senior titles on, two of them master titles on two and then um two or three actually uh and then um try to get into the some ut potentially like late in the year and then um depending on what some of these pups do because we've got two litters coming up we've got the one that lexi is carrying now and then we're going to do a repeat breeding of floyd and firecracker the intentions with with that litter are, I think we're going to hold on to a few pups from that as well, train them up, sell them as started dogs right before the beginning of the season. Um, and depending on timing, if I can, I'd like to get a couple of those pups run through a natural ability before we push them out or sell them as well. So like I said, we're going to really try to focus kind of in on, on our dogs and really push through um, as much testing as we can get through this year. Um and then my buddy Kent and Brian out of Bellevue Kennel sent me a list of horseback open trials in the Illinois, Kentucky area. They are running through uh, the next several months. We might try to get in and kind of waste some money and get out there and, <laughs> and run, just get some experience and, you know, see how we do with that. Um, biggest problem is, is just where, as we just talked about, our dog, my dogs just do not run as big just because we haven't worked with them to run as big as they're going to need to. Um you know, every other aspect they'll do fine. Um, but I just don't think that they're going to be competitive as they would need to be because of the, the range. Um, but it'll be great experience. So we're going to, I think, try to work some of that in. And I think that's what it's looking like over the next, you know, six, seven, nine months, however long it is. Um, our chapter here, White Creek is running a test in October or excuse me, August. Yeah. I think it's 17, 18. I, I yeah. had saw the, the post about it. Um, and I needed to, I was going to reach out to Karen and, and try to talk about some stuff, try to figure out, you know, what that looks like. Um, you know, the problem is I, I need trying, Hey, I, I need to get some pups registered that aren't born yet kind of deal. Right. So, right. It's, uh, right. you know, you, you can't do it, but it's, uh, you know, at least for the other dogs, try to get that figured out and, you know, get some registrations in. So. Be interesting to see, you know, what the faith in the point dogs do at, you know, five months old in an NA test. That's uh, that's that's young. Well, for, we did, for any for any test. Yeah. So Rocky out <laughs> of the our twenty twenty one litter, we tested him at five months, and he did prize one one ten. Um, his tracking, you know, argue everybody's always got a reason. It was his tracking. Um, argue that the the course was 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 not the best. Nobody scored well out of all the dogs dogs that ran um and then we tested lily well no lily was was a good bit older and she ran a, a 112 um 
but yeah, they, they've all done well. I mean, we've be interesting. They, they've, they've all the one, all the ones we've tested have done really well at very young ages, but it's the benefit of, of having them here from birth. And, you know, we start working them, you know, as soon as we can. So, you know, it's just, you know, second nature to them. So. I remember that test. I remember those grounds. I know you and I tested on different days. Um, and I was really concerned about the tracking portion of that test as well, just based off of um, where and how it was set up. And then what, I mean, honestly, what the chapter and the judges can't control are just 30 plus mile an hour winds. And I think on the day that I tested or that, well, when Skeet tested, it was about 10 degrees, uh, you know, 10 degrees, super dry, super windy. And the grass was less than ankle high. Um, mm-hmm. was not ideal. Fortunately, I mean, I think the small monster landers are just not going to fail a tracking portion. That's, it's kind of what they're for. So Skeet did well, but I know a lot of other dogs, at least on the day that I tested, just, I mean, there were a bunch of no prize dogs because of, I believe because of the conditions. Yeah. That was a test we ran Lily Rocky's litter mate in and she, she did, uh, prize one one twelve in, but she was also a good bit older. When we tested Rocky, was up with Central Indiana out at Buck Creek. But you're right, that was a uh, down there when we ran um, that test you're talking about. That was a uh, that was a rough course. Um, we it ran was. another, <laughs> yeah, we ran another dog of ours down there at that one, and he did a uh, one ten on the tracking too. He was on the other side, and the bird flew across a, a dirt road. And uh, kind of hopped across a dirt road and he lost it for a bit and ended up picking it back up. But because of that, they, you know, dropped him. And it was like, you're right. That was a, that was a rough weekend. It's, I think, tough conditions for, for the puppy test. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, maybe on a, on a, more, on a more, more mature dog, you know, UT, whatever, I, I would expect the dog and its training to be able to kind of surpass some of those issues. Um, some of the puppies were on the struggle bus. I'll tell you what was even more interesting was watching the puppies. Most of them not want to get anywhere near the water. Uh, (laughs) it was just so darn cold. And again, I'm just lucky in that. I mean, you know, Skeet, she's a great dog. She, Mm -hmm. she'd rather swim than walk. Um, so when, as soon as she saw the water, she wanted in and uh she jumped in like a dock diving dog and everyone was not happy they thought i was trying to show them up or whatever and I said, hey it's the dog it's not me yeah. you know she's she's a you know she's a good girl um but i know you had some you had some great scores on on the previous day so obviously your dogs did well in the water entry as well yeah they went for, lily was both of them they, they swam fine lily was cute she's i mean she's a smaller structure dog anyway but uh she jumped in just fine but it was with every stroke she was whimpering. It, it was all the way to the bumper, all the way back, just whimper, 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 whimper. She'd get out and she'd take off. And she'd be fine. She'd go for the second one. Same thing. It was like, okay, dog, we, we get it. It's cold. But <laughs> so, no, they, they did fine. Yeah. Um. All right. So you went from all short hairs and then you, then you got a cocker. And yeah. what's the, what's the cocker's name? Winnie. Winnie, for some, I keep wanting to call her Betty because every cocker is called Betty Cocker, right? Um, yeah. Winnie, all right. And now you have two English pointers as well, right? Yep, we sure do. How did that happen? Yeah, that's what I keep asking myself. Um, <laughs> the all of my 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 
pointer buddies keep trying to corrupt me and they were successful is what it boils down to. But, um, you know, the first one, when I went out to North Dakota, um, so I'm running and I've always loved, you know, I talk a lot of, of trash and, and joke about the long tail dogs and pointers and whatever, but I've always loved the tradition. I, I love their style. I love, you know, a proper set that, you know, straight up arrow, you know, of a pointer on point. Um, and so went out to North Dakota, my buddy had some, he was kind of thinning his, his string down the ones that they were good dogs, but they just weren't going to be competitive on the field trial circuits. Um, so it had, had a little female that he was looking to, to find a home for. And I was like, you know what, we're, we're going to take his dog home. So turn her into a gun dog. And so brought her home and started working with her. And she is, I mean, she's something else. And uh, so ran her, hunted her all this year. And she has gotten mean on some birds. And uh, it's to the point I've started since I come out of the season, this last couple of weeks, I've worked, I'm starting to get to break her now. Um, and uh, so really excited about her. And then um, my buddy Darrell Smith from the Sporting Life Notebook, he had a uh, little pup, a little male. And he was like, we're always going back and forth. He wants to add a short hair to to his uh, guide string and he wants it to come from us. And he was like, Hey, I got this little male pointer. Do you want him? Um, I don't have time right now to work him. And I was like, eh. and I made the mistake just like happened with the cocker with Winnie and showed a picture to my wife. And uh, so, <laughs> yeah, you know how the rest of the story goes. I got a little male pointer in the house. So, uh, you know, brought him back and started working with him and he is just, He's seven months old, but he's still 100% all puppy. Um, so, you know, it's, it's been interesting. We brought him back and, you know, put him on his first quail and he just wants to play. But it was, had him in the field when it, and I've got it on video when it, it first hit him that, oh, I'm supposed to to like these things. And quail, I'd, I'd pulled some flight feathers on one and he was, you know, running out in front of him and he ran past and he hit the scent and he, he turned, like slammed the brakes. He turned, nose to the ground, and tracked it for quite some time. And then the bird kind of flew, and he chased it. And then it's been a one after that. Um, so it's going to be a lot of fun, um, you know, working with him to to you know get him to where he needs to be. He's he's flash pointing right now. The, the rest of it will come, but he's a retrieving little son of a gun, which uh, I, I'm real real excited about because. You know, as a young pointer, you don't necessarily always get that out of him, but could go either way, right? Yeah, he's a retrieving son of a gun. So excited about that piece of it. So, um, you know, we'll we'll see what the, the next year or so brings with him. Penny is, like I said, she'll be she'll be ready to go by the time this next season comes around. We're looking at I'm gonna try to run her in some hunt tests this spring and, and summer. Um, you know, try to put some titles on her and see what we can do with her. Penny was a fun dog. I know I got to hunt well. I don't know if Penny knew she was hunting just yet. I think, uh, you know, obviously here in Indiana, we are not in, in upland hunting Mecca. We're not in bird Mecca. We get out and, you know, we do the best we can on, on some private properties, some hunted, uh, public properties. You know, you and I got a chance to hunt a little bit. Mm-hmm. And um, I think you had Penny out on every hunt at least for a few hours. Mm-hmm. And she's out there just having a great time. I think I, I said she looks like a little Muppet running around out there. Oh, yeah. And uh, one of the things that just stuck with me because it was spot on when you said, oh, Penny's just out there doing Penny things. She's just on Penny things. And I'm telling you, she, I took her up. You didn't, I didn't get a chance to take you up with me. But when I went up to Northern Indiana, we got on those wild pheasants 
it was up there is when I think it really clicked to her that, hey, this is hunting and this is what I'm supposed to be doing. I got some really solid points out of her on, on wild pheasant. Um, and, you know, she, no steadiness. She's going to point him for a little bit, but as soon as she feels the pressure be walking up, it's on. Um, yeah. And so it clicked. We bring her back here and let her out in this field. And she's going to find every bird that I've let go that, you know, because I'm not killing anything right now. So I've got tons of birds in the field. She's going to point them. I mean, super, super solid, super steady. And I, I told Beth the other day, somebody's about to call animal control on me because she pointed one just a few feet away from the, the side by side. And I went to pick her up real quick. And I mean, she's, she's fighting and I mean, trying to bite me to get me to let her go just so she could go back to the field and get those birds. And I had to pull her over and put her on the stake so I could, you know, finish getting set to run her again. Um, but she is just bird crazy now. And it's, she's out there and I mean, she's on a mission. There's no more of that hopping and playing and doing the stuff that she was doing. She is, she is in full on hunt mode when she hits that field now. So that's fun to just watch a puppy. Yeah, Yeah. well, that's, that's awesome. And, you know, I think everybody knew that, you know, once she figured it out that, that she's going to be a great dog and she was just a baby at the time. Anyway, she's just a little tiny penny out there doing penny things. Right. Yeah. And and I think that's, that's, you know, if I could recommend to anybody, you you get those young dogs out there, get them gun broke. Right. So you're not going to ruin them, but just take them out and let them bump birds, let them, let them run, pair them up with older, more experienced dogs and just, just hunt with them. Right. Let, let the hunt be about those dogs. You're going to bump birds. We saw it, right. All of our dogs, they they bumped some birds, right. Absolutely. Rare opportunity to chase wild quail in Indiana and Cubby's got flushed. They got bumped. Oh um, not even talking about that. Let, let them do it. <laughs> let them do it. And they're going to learn. And, and that's where you, you, you lay that foundation to, to build from. And, and I think that's the, the best thing that you can do for the, for these young, young dogs. Yeah. And, uh, since, since we just kind of laughed about that real quick, but <laughs> Dave and I were working a private property that we had access to through a lottery and it's, it's kind of a, it's not a once in a lifetime hunt, but it's not something that you're going to get every year in Indiana. And we were lucky that Dave got drawn for public land property up North in Indiana. And I got drawn for a private property down in kind of South central Indiana. And we were looking for quail all darn day on this private land. We did, I think, bump a couple singles i think they were wild flushes i don't think we bumped them to be honest with you um but uh i think the one cubby that was on that property we stood next to for probably three or four minutes Mm -hmm. with at least two dogs out um we might have had three out i don't remember but i know skeet my dog was I mean, she was upwind of the co- of the covey in her defense, but my goodness, she was what maybe fifteen feet away from it. Yeah, and um, none of us had any idea, including her. And then the covey decided to flush, and we were—I think we were both a little bit frustrated at that moment. There were birds everywhere. <laughs> yeah, there were. It was a big covey too, wasn't it? Yeah. My goodness. It, it um, happened. I will say, I—I'll I, just say again, Skeet was upwind of the covey. I don't think she ever got in the scent cone looking back on it. But at the moment, I may have been a little bit emotional about <laughs> how that happened. I wasn't, wasn't real happy about that. Um, 
And we never did find those birds, did we, after no, they flushed? No, no, they were gone. It was quite the day. We did a lot of walking that day, too. Yeah, yeah, we put some miles on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, all right, so you did say, so you're breeding also. So you're, you're training full-time and kind of breeding when you get a chance? Yeah, we, we, the plan is that, you know, cap out one, maybe two litters a year. This year, fortunately, kind of unfortunately, though, we'll, we'll end up with two litters on the ground at about the same time, um, just the way it works. You know, we'll always put a cycle between litters on the dogs and just the way it turned out with Lexi and then Firecracker. Um, you know, she should be going into heat here within the next few weeks. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll get both the breedings out early this year, which will be fine though, because firecracker, the last two litters have come in, uh, December and January. So she's missed good portions of the season because of that. So, you know, we'll get the pups in, get them out and then get her back in shape so she can hit, hit a season hard, um, for a change that's coming up here, which we're excited about because she is a, she's a machine in the field. And, uh, so that'll be good. It'll be some, some anybody who's dealt with the litter of pups, especially when you're dealing with two of them on the ground at the same time is be some, <laughs> be a rough a time you're going to have, yeah, you're going to have 20 puppies. Yeah. I mean, we did, I did the ultrasound on Lexi, you know, to confirm the pregnancy. Um, I could for sure count eight. Pretty sure there was there was ten in there. Um, you know, the last litter we we had with Firecracker, we had twelve. So, you know, and I really think that you know we'd invested in some of some medical equipment or whatnot that tell us that you know exactly when they've released all of their eggs. So, in you know theory, translates into bigger litters, which is is. You know, we've had some pretty big litters since we've we've started using this thing. So, uh, twelve puppies pups on the ground. Yeah, but and and that's your plan is to be able to you know try and get her to get them in that late winter or spring cycle. Um, it just works out that that that's when you're you know when your bitches are are in heat, and then not breed them for that late summer or fall cycle. Yeah, we'll, we'll keep them. Um, used to be that, you know, medical guidance, AKC guidance was that, that you needed to leave a heat cycle between breedings, give the bitch time to recover um, between welts, between pregnancies. They've come back now and some of the medical evidence suggests that depending on the bitch and how she recovers after whelping, that the bitch may be better off to do a breeding, back-to-back breedings. Um that and the reason the argument that they state in favor of that is that it the body is already prepared the hormones are there so it's not as big up and down swing of hormones and all of that that it's it's already prepped um so as long as the female has you know you know gotten back into shape and you know is in a good physical um condition then you're probably better off but we're we still kind of stick to the the old school mentality, leave that heat cycle between, um, you know, give mama some time to recover, you know, get her back into the field, get her exercising again. Um, and then, you know, give another, do it the second breeding if you're going to do that. Um, you know, that's kind of the way what we believe and kind of how we practice it. Yeah. Right on. I know, um, you know, my mentor who actually is going to be on a podcast here in the next uh, couple of weeks, 
or a couple of weeks after this one, I think um, what she told me, what, what her philosophy it is for, for, for breeding females is breed them early and breed them often. Um, mm-hmm. So she said that, you know, that dog should be bred almost every heat cycle. Um, as soon as she's mature enough and healthy enough, and then, you know, you really want to stop them around, you know, seven ish years old. Um, yep. and so I think that is our plan with skeet. I mean, obviously we do have to have, um, a good return on investment, mm-hmm. um, with her as long as, well, I mean, she's, she's still a restricted, um, pedigree anyway, restricted registration. Um, and you know, we have a few, a few more things that we need to do, um, here in the near future to get that restriction lifted. And, what it's looking like is that she'll probably go into heat sometime late July, early August, which means those puppies are coming out right in the beginning of the best part of hunting season. Yep. So um, I know you and I have joked around about this all, a little bit. Um, you know, I think my hunting season may be a little bit abbreviated um, mm-hmm. in the beginning and uh, we're just going to have to do the best we can. I know a guy who will, who will rent you a dog for a season. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think part of it also is whether or not I can leave a litter of puppies back here yeah. with uh, with Sarah and the kids for a few days, especially as those puppies get to be six, seven, eight weeks old. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure how much patience they'll have for it. And this is uh, at least that part of it is it's more my thing than anybody else's thing. Yeah, we've had the discussion. It, it it's six weeks on. They're 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 cute, but you're ready for them to to turn eight weeks so they can find their forever home and get get all that love because they're 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 dogs. <laughs> they're a lot. So right, I get that. Right. Um. So yeah. So you've done some Nastra. Uh, you've done some walking trials, and I know you just took one of the horses out of state you went down to alabama right yeah we did we did i got got a late night sunday call hey can you uh be in nashville tennessee with a horse so we can be in uh union springs alabama by four o'clock on monday and uh go down and ride at the national open shooting dog championships and uh then do some quail hunting on one of the plantations down there and it's like one of those once in a lifetime opportunities i couldn't pass up so yeah yeah so we i uh took loaded up stayed up about all night getting things ready and uh loaded a horse and trailer and made it happen um really really cool experience left all the dogs at the house for a change so it was just me and a horse which was super odd it felt strange to pull out of here and not have a dog yeah um, it's also kind of nice to to be on the other side to go do some quail hunting and and have you know be catered to and be guided instead of the guide for a change. And, you know, there's freaking, you know, dogs on point, you get off the horse and, you know, the guy tells you, okay. And you go shoot some birds and get back on the horse and ride off and somebody else is working the dogs. And you know, <laughs> it was nice. <laughs> that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, how much more challenging is it to travel with a horse than with a dog? Uh, not a whole lot. Um, you know, the horses, you, depending on how far you go, you, you throw them in a trailer, make sure they got hay, 
you know, every time I stop for fuel, I, you know, make sure to drop a window down, give them some water, you know, check on them. I, uh, I've got a camera system in the trailer so I can, um, it Bluetooth into a nice screen in the truck so I can keep a check, keep watch on them the whole time traveling. Okay. Um, you know, there are guidelines. If you're going to go so far, you should pull them out and, you know, walk them, but it, it's difficult depending on where you're going. Um, you know, if we're going over a certain distance, I'll wrap their legs and, and whatnot. Um, but you know, it's, it's really not, really not that difficult. It's really not that hard. Um, you know, mm-hmm. dogs, you'd argue kind of a little, a little more cause then you got to pull them out and let them pee and this and that horses just going to do what they're going to do in the trailer and you just shovel all that stuff out later. So sure. Sure. The easier side of it. Huh. That's interesting. Yeah. I, I would think that, you know, and I don't know much about horses, but I would think that, you know, traveling with a horse is just infinitely more complicated than, than traveling with a dog. But then again, I've been around dogs all my life and, you know, I'm, I'm very comfortable with, with dogs and especially at, at, at my older age, I'm happy to stop every now and again and, uh, and air the dogs. Cause that means I yeah. get to air myself. Yep. Yep. No, <laughs> we, I'm kind of, if I, I get on the road, I'm ready to go. I'll stop for gas and, and, you know, try not to stop other than that. And it, you know, horses just kind of ride along as long as they got some hay, you know, throw a, a bag of or a net of hay up there for them. And I guess something to munch on going down the road. They're typically pretty, pretty happy. And we, you know, you you try to condition them too. So, you know, if they haven't been trailered for a while, you should, you know, throw them in a trailer and take them on short trips just around the area or whatnot, get them used to it. But ours, I mean, it seems like we travel with them pretty often. So we don't worry about that too much and we just load them up and go. Yeah, right, right on. What did you think about the uh, the trial down there? National was the national open shooting dog champion. Yeah, it was it was unreal. It was unreal. I mean, you've got the best shooting dogs in the country um, competing down there for for the championship, and you know they had 143 dogs qualified this year, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I think it was somewhere at 58 or 60 dogs. I think there were 29 braces. Um, that were actually that actually entered and ran down there. So they're running. Um, so a brace consists of two dogs. So they're running two before, um, two braces before lunch, two after. And there were some weather delays this year, you know, um, you know. But they they ran started on Monday. They finished up the next Tuesday or Wednesday, I think it was, um, and go through. And it's you know each brace is ninety minutes long. So I mean they've got these dogs and and when they they're pushing what they're looking for is these dogs are, are running. I'm talking about, you know, they're, they're out and just steady running, looking for these birds for 90 minutes straight. Um, you know, find a bird, they gotta be, you know, lock up on point, handler rides up, jumps off, flush bird, you know, fires a blank gun. Dog has to be completely steady through all that. They release them and then it's on to the next one. Um, you know, it, it was, Sedgefield's plantation that they they hold this championship on is twelve thousand acres piney woods. I mean, it it is some of the most beautiful um, grounds you'd see anywhere. And you know, so you're going on this course, and it's just the terrain, um, the, the cover. It's just unreal. And you know, to be able to see these dogs off, you know, eight hundred thousand yards running, you know, these piney woods. You know, it's just unreal picturesque settings that, that you're looking at and uh you know wild bird coveys out there so you know you're not just flushing a bird or two you got whole coveys coming up and you know and then you wow. got you know dogs that 
you know, they might not find any. You've got your dogs that, you know, break on the flush and they get picked up. You got dogs that, you know, unproductive. They may have been a cubby there, but cubbies move by the time the handler gets there. And, you know, so it's a, you know, unproductive and, you know, dog doesn't get credit for it. And after two of those, they get picked up. So it, it's a, it's a full thing. And at the end of it, the judges compare, you know, look at the scores and best dog wins and they walk away with the check for $25,000 amongst a whole bunch of other things. So it's a, it's a big deal. Oh, that's, that's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. And I'm sure, you know, crazy sponsors down there and all sorts, you know, kind of a who's who of the, uh, of the dog trials world. Oh yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, Purina is a big sponsor down there. I mean, saddle guy, um, saddles who, you know, it's one of the, on our walker, we make really good saddles. Um, they donated a saddle for it. Um, uh, five star saddle pads, the, uh, and there were guns given away. I mean, there are all kinds of stuff. Um, you know, that it, it, it's out there. It's, it's a quite the, the thing. Um, then the trophy, the, the winner, um, his name will get engro- engraved and then that trophy will go up to the, the um, Junction City and um, we'll sit up there, you know, and they've got the the, the all-age dog competition going on at Ames Plantation in Tennessee right now. Um, so you've got the shooting dog, you've got the all-age dog, and they're essentially the, the same caliber dog. Um, but instead of a 90-minute brace, Ames, for the all-age dogs, they run three-hour braces. So, yeah, those are, and there's some differences in qualifications to get into, get qualified to run at Ames versus to run down at Sedgefields. Um, you know, it's, it's a lot, it's a lot more difficult to qualify to run at Ames for the all age dogs. Um, but you're talking about a three hour brace that is a, and those dogs have to run as strong, if not stronger at the end of that three hours as as they were in the beginning that you, you've got to have some. Some powerful dogs right there. That's a whole lot of conditioning right yeah. there. I know yeah. uh, if I'm hunting my dogs for three hours, I'm starting to look at uh, look at the Garmin and see what the mileage looks like on them, and kind of thinking about maybe making a decision, you know, depending on how the dogs looking or how the dogs going. So three dog, yeah. you know, a three hour brace, and and you've got to be hunting strong. That's that's a whole other caliber of dog right there. Yeah, and the thing is too, I mean, these dogs when they're, they're hunting and what they're looking for is not like a, a Skeet or a Nelly running, you know, nose down and kind of kind of hunting around. They're these dogs are are hunting nose in the air like Skeet or Nelly or a Rocky do on a breakaway. When we tell them, okay, hunt them up, and they take off, right. that's the speed that these dogs are hunting at the entire hour and a half or three hours depending and it's just they're running that speed the entire time it's it's unreal that's awesome i've got to take i gotta uh just go observe yeah some of that sometime i mean i don't know if uh if small monster lander is going to be the most competitive dog in 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 any <laughs> trial um which is you know another reason why i, I kind of choose to go the the testing route yeah. over the trialing route but i think um you know just seeing it would be pretty interesting yeah yeah right on. yeah interesting enough i will plug for for short hairs there were if i if i remember right there were six short hairs that qualified for the, the shooting dog um championship down there and I, I don't think any of them actually entered but there were some short hairs that qualified i did my heart happy to 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 see that so right on there. i bet i bet yeah and i mean we we've all i think we've all seen short hairs run big like that mm-hmm. and and you know 
and and do great things. It's not going to be all long tail pointers all the time. Yeah. So, well, Dave, I've kept you on here for a long time. Um, it's this this went a little longer than I than than I uh, kind of reserved from you, and I appreciate that. Um, what have I asked? What have I not asked you that I should have? Oh, um, I don't know. We've we've covered a lot of stuff. Um, yeah, I guess the the big thing we tell everybody is, uh, hey, we're, we're going to both be out at Pheasant Fest coming up here pretty soon. I'm assuming this will air before then. Um, yep, it so, will, yep. Yep, um, make sure to, you know, hit us up on social media, um, either with us at, at Fit Point Bird Dogs or at the Woe Post. And um, like I said, we'd love to, as you can tell, we can both, we can talk bird dogs all day long. So, uh <laughs> Come so, find either one of us or both of us. Like I said, we'll, uh, so people can find you at the uh, Inukshuk booth, right? Yep, yep. We'll be we'll be there with the Nukshuk, um, and uh, you know on Saturday, Friday evening. Hopefully, if we can get in town quick enough, Saturday and, and Sunday morning probably. And uh, like I said the um, there at the booth and or wandering around, we'll have one of our pups with us. And uh, I think you had mentioned you're going to have uh, Skeet out with you as well. Yep, I'll have Skeet at the uh, Small Monsterlander Club booth. Um, on the uh, on the dog stage, we'll be there with I don't know how many other small monsters, but um, should be pretty exciting. We'll have have the pretty dogs over there, pretty little dogs anyway, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if I you should say this or not, but I, I've told Bill many times that if uh, I was ever to break down and, and diversify again, it, Skeet has turned me into a, a fan, and it, it would have to be a little Skeet <laughs> that I'd bring in as another little oddball dog to this this mix that we've got over here well i know a guy <laughs> <laughs> all right dave hey where can people find you if they want to get a hold of you yeah so you can find us at facebook instagram fit point bird dogs um and then our website fitpointbirddogs.com and uh like i said you can reach out to us shoot us a message leave a post comment anything you want we'll get back to you as soon as we possibly can like i said just uh reach out anytime questions comments anything you want. Awesome. Hey, thanks for being on Dave. I really appreciate you doing this. No, we, we appreciate the opportunity. I can't thank you enough. I hope you've enjoyed episode number two of the Wool Post. If you'd like to support us, you can head on over to patreon.com slash the post. Right now we have one $3 monthly tier and we're going to figure out how to get some giveaways in there to make it a little bit more exciting for you guys. And I appreciate it. Every little bit helps. You can contact me on Facebook or Instagram at the Woe Post or an email bill at the Stay steady and God bless.